Hi everyone, Tiffany here with a super quick note that this podcast was recorded as part of a previous bundle season. That means that the dates that you're about to hear for the bundle, well, they're no longer correct. If you're interested in seeing what the dates are for this year's sale, please visit thebellydancebundle.com. There you'll find all the up-to-date information on our upcoming bundle. While the dates may be wrong and the class mentioned here isn't available through us any longer, many of our guests still have their courses available for purchase individually, so please do feel free to click through to their offerings and take a look. You're going to want to check it out after hearing how brilliant they are. Thank you so much for listening and enjoy the show. from Yala Rocks. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode. Today's is a bit long, but we get into some really good stuff. So I'm going to try to keep this intro short. The sale starts on Wednesday, October 21st. So if you haven't already, head over to thebellydancebundle.com to read more about the classes and everything that you need to know for the bundle. We released the pricing yesterday and wait for it. The complete bundle is 88% off the list price. That means that if you went out and purchased everything in the dance and the lecture bundles, right, put it all together, you would be spending over $2,000 in classes. So the bundle has all of this dance and lecture content, but this complete bundle it's only 252 US dollars. It's such an amazing deal. And I'm so excited to get the show on the road and get dancing with you all in these classes. But since we have to wait until Wednesday, let's chat with today's guest, April Rose, as we dive into healthy ways to approach your dance, scheduling versus routines, and some ways that you can set your goals. Hello, dancers, and welcome to Yala Rocks, the belly dance podcast that helps you design your personal practice. Today, we're here with April Rose. April, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and joining the bundle this year. Thank you for having me, Tiffany. It's great to be with you again. So since this is your first time on the podcast, I was wondering if you could give us a little bit of your backstory. How did you find Transnational Fusion, Rock Sharky? What drew you in? and got you to this point where it's taken over your whole life? Mm. <laughs> when I was 11 years old, I saw Suhaila Salampour's dancers at the Renaissance Pleasure Fair in Northern California. And I told my mom, I want to do that. And my mom was looking for a new hobby to do with me and my older sister because we had previously been doing karate and she had dated somebody in the class and they broke up. So <laughs> <laughs> she was like, well, open the yellow pages and look for a teacher in Sacramento where I lived. So I opened the yellow pages and I found a teacher named Dalila Morad and I started dancing with her doing like American cabaret, very goddessy kind of stuff. Um, and then when I was about 16, I had been kind of distracted from dance by theater and singing and academics because I was re always really into school and had a lot of different hobbies. But I was doing this performance at a bookstore and I saw Amy Sigil dance. And that was the first time I'd really seen fusion. And she had hairy armpits and like was covered in jewelry and tattoos and dancing to Nine Inch Nails, doing like all body column isolations. Like it was so new and different to me and I was like captivated. So my mom called Amy and was like, my daughter wants to dance with you. And Amy was <laughs> like, okay, you know, bring her in. So my mom drove me to classes and 
Um, then when I graduated high school, I went to UCLA, even though I really wanted to go to Berkeley. I was wanting to get an English degree and become a writer and or teacher. And I got into UCLA, but not Berkeley. So that kind of set a different course for my life, which I'm grateful for now. Um, and then within my freshman year, I decided to change my major from English to dance because I'd met some people in the dance program there just from taking classes that I enjoyed. And then we became roommates. And so I auditioned and I did a very fusion-y kind of dance to like a trip hop song. And uh, I got into the World Arts and Cultures slash dance um, program at UCLA. And I was, you know, at different points into classical Indian dance and all kind of stuff. And lately I've been really enjoying studying Persian and Central Asian dance. Um, and I've done, you know, I've gone more experimental and been really influenced by like my hip hop teachers um, to do more fusion stuff. But, you know, lately I'm into um, Minot inspired fusion dance Middle Eastern, North African, Hellenistic, Turkish-inspired fusion dance that um, sometimes looks like Rock Sharky and sometimes not exactly. That's excellent. What does your mom think now of this, like, one hobby she, you know, she wanted to start a hobby with you guys as a kid, and now it's what you do? Like, how does how does she feel about that? Like, seems oh, like she'd be mom. so prideful. She's extremely proud. I love my mom. We have a very close relationship and she's extremely proud of me. And I think of herself too for helping facilitate. I mean, she helped facilitate so much of my life and I really am grateful to her for that. Yeah. And I think she is grateful for the inspiration of following passion because she did the same following her passion to teach yoga and open a yoga studio and she did that when I went to college. She was like, okay, it's my turn to do my thing now. And um, she was very successful at that for like 15 years. And just now she's transitioning into like really enjoying her life as a grandma. My sister has a baby and um, she just moved to Texas from Sacramento. So she's kind of rebuilding her life here and finding how yoga fits in. But um, yeah, as a, I have a two and a half year old. So like, I love this story right, of, of facilitation, right, facilitating passions, because, like, my mom did that for me, and I know how much it helps when you have support doing this, because so many people don't have that, and they have to struggle exactly. through, you know, all the, all the crap on top of wanting to learn, and, and all the work that it takes to get somewhere, it's like, when you have that support, oh it's amazing. It's everything, and let's acknowledge that it's a privilege, you know, it's an absolute privilege to be supported by your parents, by your family. And that's something that's not so common for source dancers, people who are of the culture of origin. Sometimes they're not as supported by their families and it's a big risk for them. And, um, you know, their community support, the dance community support is even more important because of that. And I think we need to honor them so much for being willing to do that, being willing to take that risk in their own communities and and go through all of that for their passion and for this dance and for us and all that they bring to us like that needs some serious some serious kudos something i really took out of esra warda's cultural appropriation lecture that um, i bought a uh, recording of after she taught it um from her when you can contact her to get it is that you know she was saying that source teachers are navigating privacy online too so it's such an interesting dynamic and we can really even think about the privilege that we have in posting our practice videos and um you right. know Be getting support from one another in the online realm too and just encouraging myself to dig deeper than what is immediately available because there's so much more available than what is just right at the surface yeah, it's like being able to participate in the 21 days of belly dance challenge, like is in and of itself a privilege, mm -hmm. right? Like that Absolutely. you that you have with the community. I actually got a message from a dancer this morning um, who was saying that she only posts like the account that she's posting her challenge videos on is like a private dance account that nobody knows about but her dance friends. 
right? Mm -hmm. It's like navigating real life family issues, right? If you're a dancer from cultures of origin, navigating all of that as well. It's just, Mm -hmm. it's a lot. I love, I love that we've, we've brought this up and, and brought it into the discourse because it's so important. And it's something I think we don't talk about enough. So for this year's bundle, you are putting in two one-hour-long pre-recorded classes in your dance cohesion style. And today we're going to focus a bit more on practice, but before we get into that, can you give us a little bit of background on dance cohesion? I'd really like to know where these classes are kind of coming from within your style and how it developed. Sure. Okay, so I launched Dance Cohesion in early 2019. So it's been almost two years now that I've been teaching stage one. Um, And now these classes are in a way a further development of that, but starting at a place where I'm assuming you have no knowledge. So it is open to beginners and also people who have experienced cohesion material before. Um, there's a dance class and there's a percussion class. In the dance class, you learn a couple of different technique drills. I'm Stage one of dance cohesion is really um, rich with technique drills that are very mm-hmm. scalable f- for a lot of different levels, which means you can observe your own progress by leveling up your technique drill choices. And um, I really enjoy them because to me, it's very meditative. I love to do like... Um, movements. Oh, that's why I loved your uh, bundle challenge so much because it was about being present and not allowing your mind to wander. And yes. you absolutely have to do that to to make your technique drills effective or to practice percussion, to learn a percussion instrument, to stay in the tempo. Like presence, full engagement is absolutely required. So that's a lot of where the approach comes from. And also it's very musically oriented. So um, everything's tied to rhythms and um, we also play finger symbols with the exercises. But I really wanted this first dance class to be super approachable so there are actually no finger symbols in it. So I put a challenge bonus video in there which is my Instagram challenge for so the excited. bundle. Which is combining what you learn on finger symbols from the percussion class and what you learn in your body technique from the movement class. So um, it is the percussion class is on frame drum and finger symbols. If you don't have a frame drum, you could actually play on like a cardboard box, like a smaller cardboard box or even like a hardcover book. Um, and frame drums are really easy to get. Uh, yeah, they're but they're not that expensive. No, you can, it's very punk rock. You can get a very affordable frame drum and you can get a small one that you can just keep in like the glove compartment of your car and just like, I mean, who even is stuck in traffic these days? So, but <laughs> right, <laughs> not a great uh, tip, but putting drums in different places around your daily life so that you can just pick it up and feel that reverberation through your body and um, that's a tiny habits approach. And I, when we get to talking about daily schedules or whatever it is that we talk about, um, I would love to nerd out on the tiny habits approach. Yes. So All that's right. my offering for the bundle. I'm pretty excited about it. And um, I'd love to hear back from people when they do it and see if you have fun with it or not. Absolutely. And I'm sure that you'll be engaged too with the responses to your Instagram challenge because that's like almost a little like microcosm of of trying this dance cohesion style, which I'm really excited for people to jump into. And if you're listening, when this podcast goes live, that drill is up on the Instagram right now at the belly dance bundle. And if you're listening far in the future, we'll actually have the drill on the podcast notes page. So you can still come back and do this whenever you come back to this episode in the future. Nice. So you, you touched on this a little bit and I want to dive a little bit deeper in that how you like to practice and how you like to kind of go through things in this meditative approach to dance, being present, being in it, influenced cohesion a lot and the way that you teach it. Can you can you talk a little bit about how your method of practice folds into cohesion and how it all kind of comes together for you? Mm, yeah. Um, well, ultimately cohesion is trying to be a cohesive approach to Minot-inspired fusion dance um, by uh, including not only movement, but historical context 
of the development of the different variations of the dance and also musicality. So listening to being able to identify and interpret the inst instruments and rhythms and classic songs um, with the idea that, um, you know, that is the foundation for either traditionally inspired or more innovative works within the genre of Minot inspired fusion dance. Um, but when it comes to the technique practice, so stage two has more like combinations and um, choreographic elements. And we also learn how to put phrases and movements together in a group improvisational format. So we actually cue one another using the principles of improv team sync, which is created by Amy Sigil. Um, uh, to actually do group improvisation using the techniques that you learn in stage one and the combinations that you learn in stage two to create a, um, a performance that looks choreographed, but it's actually created totally in the moment out of the material that you have as a shared vocabulary. Um, and there's also tastes of that in the class that I included in the bundle. So if you're curious about that, you will get a taste of it in the bundle class. Um, as far as the practice element, I start out every class with a sort of opening movement, which is also a checklist for everything we want to keep in mind, embodied throughout the practice. Our mental, emotional, physical presence and certain alignment principles that allow us to move with neuromuscular efficiency and strength. So, um, that's one thing that I do is sort of a centering meditative practice before every class. So it's very ritualistic. I do a lot of the same things over and over again. Um, and I end the class the same way every time as, as well to kind of open and close the practice and um, mark that liminal space that you're in when you're hopefully accessing the flow state. And then you'll want to come back to that state. And so you'll feel motivated to practice because you hack your brain chemistry and get yourself to release all those feeling good hormones so that you actually want to practice. You have to make it feel good for that, for that to motivation to show up because like motivation is so fickle, right? Sometimes it's there. Sometimes it's not. I like to tell people to just get started. Like if you can get over the hurdle of getting started, usually the motivation will show up. And especially right. If you're, if you're working mindfully, while you're doing it, that motivation will show up. That flow state will come as you get into it, especially, right? As you said, if you start with that ritual, it's like almost like a trigger in your brain. Mm -hmm. Exactly. You are talking about the starter step strategy. And also, um, I wonder if there's a different word we could say besides trigger just to be sensitive to like PTSD sufferers. Uh, like Very an activator. True. Yes. Like an activator. Um, but that's exactly it, Tiffany is, have you ever heard of that book, Tiny Habits? I, think it's I have, DJ but Fogg. I haven't read it yet. I've heard great so things about one that book. Of the, one of the strategies that you do is a starter step. So if you have a hard time eating breakfast first thing when you wake up and that's something you want to do for yourself, then you could go in the kitchen and just, um, put a pot of water on the stove and that's it. Like just stop at that point. And, and then just congratulate yourself that you put a pot of water on the stove. You did it. And you feel good about it. And then the next day you do the same thing. And maybe you just feel like, okay, might as well turn the burner on. You know, might as well put some oatmeal in there the next day or whatever. But you have to do something that kind of gets you to feel good about the fact that you did it. Even if it's that tiniest thing, like an, a common example is putting on your shoes because you want to go for a run. But maybe when you put the shoes on, you're like, I'm not going for a run. I don't care about running. But you're like, I'm going to at least put the shoes on. And then after you put the shoes on, you're like, I freaking put these shoes on. Good for me. And then you Absolutely. can take them off if you want to. And then maybe the next time you do that, you'll be like, well, I might as well go outside. Or well, I might as well just go around the block. Maybe, maybe today I'll open the door. Mm -hmm. Get a little bit closer. Yeah. Right. So how do we apply this then to dance and our dance practice? What are some of these like little tiny starter steps that you recommend for people, for your students, for yourself when mm, you're not feeling it? Okay. 
So you know what, to be honest, I rarely do the starter step strategy. There's another strategy that's, um, I forget how BJ Fogg terms it, but it's like do a fraction of the thing. So just make it really small. I think Mm -hmm. it's like scaling down or something like that. So I do the scaling down strategy a lot Mm -hmm. where I just say like, I'm going to play my drum for um, 10 minutes or if that's not happening, make it even less. Like I'm going to play my drum for the length of one song. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that way I, I usually do get in the groove and go a little bit longer. Um, but that way I'm staying in relationship to the things that are important to me, even if I don't spend a long time on them. Yes. Yes. I love that because when we don't stay in relationship to those things, right. When we, we let everything else that's going on kind of dictate what we're doing I think a lot of us start to feel kind of divorced from our practice. And then we do this like feast or famine thing where we don't practice at all. And then holy crap, a show's coming up or I'm doing an online Hofla or, you know, I bought this workshop weekend, so I have to go really hard. And we end up like in these like burnout cycles because we're not staying connected in between. (laughs) You are so hitting the nail on the head. I mean, really, we all have totally unrealistic expectations for how much we can get done or how long we should be practicing or whatever. So, I mean, I know that I do and that if I just scale my expectations back for myself, then I feel better. And over the long term, I make improvement rather than short-term bursts. But sometimes short-term bursts are fun because I, I've, I'm i a very obsessive sometimes and I really am obsessed with finishing things that I start. So mm-hmm. sometimes everything falls by the wayside because I'm like building a website right now. Or, <laughs> and that's when it's troublesome to, and that's why it's important to stay in balance because that's what you're talking about is the burnout cycle. It's actually just like hitting me right now as a because whenever I do that, if I'm just like, well, I'm going to spend these three weeks doing nothing but building this website, then at the end of that, I have to take like a two-week recovery break before yeah. I even have like the inspiration to pick up my 10 minutes a day of drumming again. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. And I think I, for me, the way that I can get around that when I have the presence of mind to, to try and not just like let it take over because it happens to me all the time, but is to um to make whatever that project is, part of my actual practice. It's like, yes, I know, like building a website. I understand that building a website is not practicing dance, but it is part of my dance journey, right? At this moment to build a website or to run the bundle or whatever. And so I almost like make it part of my practice. I'm gonna, I would start drumming for 10 minutes and then I would go and and work on the website for half an hour. Like, but that that only works if you realize it's happening when it's happening. So well, hard. that requires long-term planning and goal setting, which is really important. What's important to you? Like actually checking in with like, what are you doing with your time? Yeah. Based on what values and then constantly checking everything with those values. Mm-hmm. How do you, how do you set goals in your practice? Like when, when you're looking at what you want to improve, what you want to build, what you want to put out there, how how do you mesh all of that with your personal practice and making goals that that kind of serve all of that for you? Because I know goal setting is something that a lot of dancers struggle with because improvement happens over time, right? They don't mm-hmm. see those results right away. So it's harder to set these ambiguous kind of endpoints for moving on to something else. You know what's really interesting? If I'm talking about improving my skill, I usually just write down improve at this thing. Um, So that's interesting to observe about myself is that I don't actually have like technical skill point. I'm not like, like I still can't reliably do a belly flutter and I've never written down by the end of this year, I will be able to do a belly flutter and I've never done it either. So I just, (laughs) I write down what things I want to improve on, what things I want to practice regularly. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm big on new year's resolutions. I, Every year, I just naturally want to um, clear everything out. I'm constantly clearing everything out. I have like a bad habit of throwing things away that shouldn't get thrown away because I'm like, <laughs> clearing the slate and starting fashion. Um, but I love to set out a list of like, these are my goals for this year. 
-hmm. And then this year I've actually been reviewing the list on like every full moon and like thinking about it, like charging up the list and like mm -hmm. choosing which things to focus more on. And I think that's kind of essential because the beginning of the year list is like very broad spectrum things. Mm -hmm. And then as each moon passes, then I'm like, okay, this next phase, I'm definitely going to be focusing on um, a, paying attention to and enriching this particular relationship in my life, for example. Mm -hmm. um, or I'm going to uh, figure out how to teach online classes or I'm going to um, build this website that I need to build or so getting more detailed as the year goes on, like as you dive into those goals that you made at the beginning of the year. Yes. And then the next step for me is something that I've been working on for like years, which is I want to actually have like an Excel spreadsheet of everything I do during the day, like mm. actually a whole schedule. Like I wake up, I do this, then this, then this, then this down to like every moment. And that's because I'm weird. Um, no, that's because I love structure. Some people love freedom and that's how they thrive. Right. And so far I've never been able to get that like schedule down, but I have an example, but I need to get even more detailed with it. Cause right now it's a, an example of a day, but I'm noticing that doesn't work for me because certain days of the week, I need to focus on different tasks. Cause I need to go more in depth into them mm. than what I'm allowing for this, like an example of a day schedule. Everything yeah. has to get done in like 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. Whereas like, I need to just say like, no, I don't do that on Mondays. I do that on Tuesdays and be able to move the blocks around. And so like right now I have this like color coded Excel spreadsheet where I'm like starting to do that and like trying to get it all worked out. Um, and you then so do you. I would be, yeah, I would be like checking in with my list of like what I'm focusing on. And then that would be one of the blocks that I would be putting on my schedule of like, mm -hmm. this is where I'm working on this project that I'm focusing on. Yeah. I have a friend that, that does it kind of like this. He has theme days for his business. So like he only like, you know, Mondays and Wednesdays, he does all his writing, you know, and then Tuesdays and Thursdays, he does this other thing. And so he, he themes out the days of the week so that he keeps coming back to what's important to him, like in his business, but it's, it's, and it's still scheduled, but it's not, the rigid schedule every day. See, and I love hearing from people like you who love to schedule things because I am not that person, right? You said people who like freedom, that's me. You put things on a time blocks on a schedule and I'm like, no, like personally, it will never happen. And, but I love routines, right? So routines are my thing. And it's, it highlights to me always like, you know, it makes me realize even more how individual like practice is and needs to be to work with everybody's different views and the different ways that they relate to things because it has it has to work for you or it doesn't matter like it literally doesn't matter if it works for anybody else as long as it works for you well i'm so curious about this tiffany because you said you love routines and i feel like i'm talking about a routine so what's different i'm just like what's the like if if i say 6 30 a.m i wake up and in that first 30 minutes i hydrate I yeah. feed my cats and I practice on Duolingo. Like, yeah. how is that different than what you're saying? The time. Oh, so it doesn't matter what time you wake up, but then you're going to do those yeah. things. Yeah. Like I wake up, I take a shower, I work out. Right. Like that's to me, that's how it works. Like if I'm the one who wakes up with my daughter, right. We wake up, we change her clothes, we brush her hair, we feed the cats. I make breakfast those days days I don't wake up with my daughter, I do the other thing. So I like, I have these routines around work, around my practice, you know, dinner time, we finish eating dinner, I clean off the table, we take the compost outside, whatever. But it doesn't matter when we eat dinner, it doesn't matter when I wake up, it doesn't, you start putting things like on a time schedule for me and I, I freak out, <laughs> I can't handle it. <laughs> so interesting. But knowing that about myself has been a game changer for me. Just like, you found out, right, that you want to create this Excel spreadsheet, like that this is how you kind of, you're experimenting with it. This is how I want to set up my days. This is how I want to start working on making different days work this way and that way. It's it's all about experimentation, about figuring out what works for you. Yes. And that's the key part of the process is data gathering. So the reason why I said I've been doing this for years is I've, I finally just got to the 
attempting to put it on an Excel spreadsheet. What I've been doing is observing what I do. So mm -hmm. this isn't something I just came up with, like, I'm going to wake up at 6.30 a.m., but really <laughs> I'm a night owl. It's like, no, my husband's a landscaper. He wakes up at 5.45. It's, it's like I'm – it works with my life to do that. So I've just observed what I do and how I feel when yes. I do certain things. So important. And then I realize, okay, so what's the easiest way for me to get all this stuff done? And what's the most fun way to arrange my life? And it is amazing that I even have the freedom to do that. Absolutely. And I, I love that you take into account how it makes you feel, right? It's not necessarily like when we, sometimes when we think about practicing, we're like, oh, I have to like get up and practice and this is gonna take time and I'm tired. But then if you get up and you practice, then you're like, oh, I feel so much better, right? You get that, that burst of energy, you feel better. And so what you're looking at is it, it's how to make the first part less poopy. I'm going with you know, two and a half year old language. And, <laughs> and then, you know, chasing that feeling that you feel good after you practice and, and recognizing all those little pieces and how do you put them together to make it work for you? Yes. Yes. I always feel better after I practice. And so much of that is connecting with other people. I mean, so much of just dance for me too is just connecting with other human beings. And even though we can't be together in person, I have been feeling connection online and that's mm -hmm. been a lifesaver for me. Yeah. I can't imagine like people who don't have these communities to lean back on, like how much harder this pandemic has been, you know, cause as a dance community, I feel like we were already global and there was already, you know, we were already online, but not like this, not, not in this way. And I feel like we've really banded together and, and, and come together and, and started doing more together online, right? We're, we're interacting more in our communities, even outside of all of the, you know, new classes that you can take and the new, online shows that you can watch to interact in that way. Like even just the community aspect, I feel like so many more dancers are reaching out to people all over the world to just talk with. And that's amazing. That's amazing to me. Yeah, I definitely feel the connection. So I think you've touched on this and I wanna go a little bit deeper. So we've talked about um, people, like you've looked at your schedule, how you lay out your days. You have a master's degree, correct? Yes. All right. So you, I know how people, right, with master's degrees are overloaded with work. <laughs> at one point, at least in your life, you have been so busy, you couldn't see straight. So how did you then and do you now bring it back to dance and practice, even when there's so much other stuff going on and you're surrounded by other things that need your attention? You know, what advice could you give through your own experiences of, of bringing it back to your dance practice, even in these times of chaos? Chaos isn't the right word, but I'm going with it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, wow, I have so much, so many thoughts about, about this because I feel that since the time I was a young child, I was trained for graduate school because mm -hmm. I was a very... I'm number one in the Enneagram, uh, very sort of um, goal-oriented, perfectionist kind of person, like by nature. So any efforts that I've done to balance those aspects <laughs> out of my personality have been hard won, and I'm very proud of them. And that's what I try to fiercely protect is the realizations that I've come to since being in the like school system um, that I don't want to fill every moment with a goal-oriented project mm -hmm. anymore. Um, but at a time, at the time I did that stuff, I was so in that state. Like I was ready to get stuff done and learn things and connect. And I just had the the enthusiasm for it. So I rose to the occasion. Um, and honestly, I did it by harming myself 
I, I just did whatever I could to keep up, you know, and then I hit a wall and I realized I'd been doing that since grad school. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, let me get really focused on um, the business aspect of things so I can be independent and we open a dance studio because I really want to be in connection to other people. And I was just like running myself ragged and didn't realize it because the expectations had always had been high without ever having taken a break because I went from school to undergrad to grad to start a business. Mm -hmm. And um, then I realized after ending my dance studio two years ago that I mean I was just pushing myself way too hard and not realizing it not having enough free time not having enriching personal relationships not um, prioritizing love instead of like oh I was I thought I was doing art and connection and community and I was but I was doing it so much that it, it was hap it, I couldn't be really truly generous and present and calm and you know it was just just really tough so at that time I kept up by holding myself to a schedule and I had accountability partners in all of those things I was always just meeting up with other people and like will practice and this and that and the other driving you know to get to places and filling my schedule almost out of fear that if I had free time I would I would um be lazy with it and that was and, the worst thing that you could do at that time yeah. Like, yeah. to, like in your mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but since then, I have switched a lot of things around and the pandemic has like slowed it down even more. And I'm just really honing in on like what I need and, you know, developing my relationships and spending more time being creative and um, playing with ideas and a lot more time studying and learning. Um, so what are some healthy ways? Absolutely. That I have held myself accountable to my artistic practices when I'm busy with personal life or professional life. I think my number one strategy is by being a student. I love to be in an environment where I'm not in charge. I love to be in an environment with new people. I love to be with one um, or I'm one of the people with the most to learn. Um, I just signed up for a Persian singing class that's like, I did not know it was an advanced class either. And it's so fun. And I'm just grateful that people let me be in these scenarios where I'm really not like skilled to be there, but um, you know, I just try to be energetic and like 100% participatory. And um, that's how I do it is by being a student of things. Bringing, bringing that back into what you're doing, I think as professionals, that happens to a lot of us as we get away from that feeling. Oh my God, I was so lost, Tiffany. Like in 2019, it was the first year I'd had where I wasn't teaching, you know, seven weekly classes or I wasn't enrolled in UCLA. Uh, it, it was like the first year where, and I wasn't traveling to eight countries a year on every single, anytime I took a two week break from teaching seven classes a week, I was traveling on an airplane. So then I would come back and start teaching again right away. No recovery time like built into my life. And that was just like super not working. And I wasn't having actually connective, enriching relationships with the people that I was working with um, because I just was stretched too thin for that. I, I, what I did was I took improv comedy classes last year. I did like three levels and, um, you know, I signed up for this singing class. I took some private lessons in voice. I, um, and those two things, they totally reoriented me to what it's like to learn something new because mm -hmm. I was, I've been dancing since I was 11 years old and t actively involved in teaching people since then. I'm 32. So I was not connected to like, what is it like for an adult beginner to learn, to try to approach learning a new skill. Mm -hmm. And I 
learned what that feels like by going to the improv classes and the singing classes. It's like, it takes a lot of bravery. Yeah. You need a lot of support and encouragement. And it was a huge eye opener. I think everything that you do like that outside of dance, right, you bring back into it. Like how does, how does improvisational comedy come back in and affect your dance? Yeah, because, you know, I, it's very technique focused, but you're not really doing the spirit of rock sharky or of, you know, Manat dance if you're not connected to the ability to improvise to music that you have a deep connection to. So mm -hmm. like you have to develop the musical connection and you have to develop the improv connection mm -hmm. in addition to developing your disciplined technical practice. Yeah, I you've you've touched on so many things that I want to keep I want to keep talking about all of them I'm going to do one last thing that you mentioned before which was that you you kept up by harming yourself right I want to circle back to that because so many of us and I've gotten lots of messages throughout this challenge of people who are like oh I work in healthcare and I'm just too tired to do the challenge when I get home right it's like there's never been a more stressful time to work in healthcare like let's just acknowledge that right? For all of you out yeah. there on the front lines, like battling this thing. So grateful. Like this idea that we have in our heads, our practice has to be this long and we have to do all of these things and we have to get all of this done. And we're putting that on top of all of the, those of us who have kids and have jobs and are doing all this other stuff that we can get into those situations, like you mentioned, where it's not helpful to practice depending on how we're we're engaging with it and how we're seeing it. Like if it's something that brings you joy and happiness and, you know, relaxes you and that's how you're approaching it, then like thumbs up, let's go. This is awesome. But there's also, it comes a point where it becomes more harmful. And so can you speak a little bit more to like just the benefits of stepping back from that mm. practice and coming back to it later when you're in a healthier mindset in a healthier space? Since you have, oh like, God. since you've gone through it, right? Like you have yes. experience here. Please share I it. I was that person who was like, it's not supposed to be fun. This is art. <laughs> you know, like I was that person. Like I was really focused on, you know, making it um, excellent. And um, it's just not worth it if it's not fun. Like, and, and if you're not resting and restoring, then you're going to be projecting all that, um, self-harm onto others and you know it's gonna be a negative feedback loop but you know there's so much to learn about the context of this dance maybe just lay on the couch and watch that uncle zoom documentary you know watch some golden era films yes. like there's so much that you can do in terms of rereading read a heather ward's book you know like just um there's so much learning that can inform your practice. It doesn't always have to be physical. In fact, it shouldn't be. It 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 needs to be well-rounded. And you need to be seeing this dance and 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 hearing the music and and just think about it like that. Oh, I'm just listening to music and listening to songs that are that are relevant to what I'm studying right now. Yes, and make that part of your practice so you can still in, you can still interact and do things with this dance without having to dance in that moment. And even listening to this podcast is one way I do that sometimes. I'm like a podcast addict. <laughs> so, you know, stay connected yep. to, to the conversations. Right now there's tons of webinars and classes and stuff that are um, that you basically can just watch and take notes on. But sometimes that's a lot to keep up with too. And it is totally okay to just watch um, something totally un, you know, um, refined on Netflix and just relax. Like you have to restore. Um, but lately I've been taking baths. I've been really into baths. It's like, find what is actually restorative, you know, cause yes. sometimes watching TV is not restorative. Um, and being on social media is not restorative. So if I find that I'm doing those things and I might choose to take a bath instead, or, you know, some aspects of my practice are restorative for me, like singing and drumming. Mm -hmm. like stretching find out what that is for you do that yeah rest and recover and do that and approach all of this in a super healthy way for you we all have different tendencies some of us tend toward 
you know, being more still, more stasis. And some of us tend toward movement. And a lot of the times it's because we're uncomfortable what is with, with whatever's going on inside of us. So you know who you are and just try to balance yourself in the opposite direction a little bit and get the support system together with your rituals or with your schedules that you can find a little bit more of that balance. Absolutely. April, thank you so much. Do you have any other tips you would like to share here at the end for people who are listening and working on themselves and their practice and their dance in this, in this weird, weird time that is 2020. Yeah. Just remember that there's a whole big machinery that benefits off of you uh, being distracted with your own looks, with your um, your your re- reputational advancement, with um, material wealth that definitely benefits from division amongst you and people who are very similar to you and who you may not think you're similar to. So in that context, one of the most revolutionary things we can do is to actually take our heads out of that solipsistic self-judgment state of comparison and competition with others and actually find connection and love and like actively nurture that as much as possible with the people around you. And there's a lot of responsibility that we have to behave ethically and it takes a lot of energy. So make sure to rest. You need to rest because it it's in this world, it's hard to behave ethically. So mm-hmm. you have to restore yourself so that every day you can wake up and, and act in accordance with your values. And I'm talking to myself. I'm talking to myself. <laughs> I think you're talking to yourself, but you're also speaking to a greater issue that a lot of us face because it is it is hard and it does take energy and we have to work on it and we have to work on it all the time and to be able to rest and recover so that you can come back and be the person that your values have set you up to be, right? Like really living those. Yeah, recovery. Like that's something all of us, all of us work on, I think, whether we do it consciously or not, we're pushing towards our values. And so mm-hmm. bringing awareness to it, bringing the mindfulness to it, I think is super important. Yeah. Otherwise you'll just be like buttressed around by all of the ads that you're shown on social media that are specifically designed to emotionally activate you in accordance with propaganda. So you have to be very clear about what your values and path are. Otherwise you're just going to be totally buffeted by all the winds that surround us. April, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, for sharing your story and your practice and your wisdoms here. I appreciate you so much. Can you tell people who want to hear from more from you? They want to learn more from you. They want to check out this new website you're building. Where can they find you online and and interact and build this connection? Oh, thank you for asking. I have three websites www.aprilrose.dance and that will connect you to everything aprilrose.dance and um, there is a very famous porn star with my name so you will get her before you get me (laughs) but if you type in dance with your searches you usually end up on me Um, but it's actually a very common name Um, I also my training program is at dancecohesion.com and that's the website that I've been working on. There are a lot of exciting things in store for the future of dance cohesion. So I'm really looking forward to that. And then the third is rosemovement.studio, www.rosemovement.studio. That's my online dance studio. And that's where I teach weekly online classes and you can book a private lesson. And then on all social media, I am at April Rose Dance. Thanks for asking. Yeah. And... For anyone listening, um, I am taking Dance Cohesion right now, and it's amazing. So personal personal recommendation there from me. Um, April, I have one last question for you so we can end. We've been ending the podcast on a bit of a humorous note this year, and that is where is the strangest place that you have ever danced? And practice counts. Okay. Um, the first place that comes to mind is like, in an airport, but I'm sure a lot of people have said that already. Only um, one person. 
surprisingly. Okay. Um, another place. Oh, you know what? In the field by my house. Like I, when I walk with my dog, sometimes I'm just feeling myself and I just dance with him on the leash. I have this whole leash choreography. Like I go under it. I put my legs <laughs> over it. Like we do a whole thing and I literally just frolic through the field and like, and anybody could see me. I don't know. I'm just, some days I just don't care. Yeah. No, I love that you dance with your dog, even if he doesn't care. No, he's just walking, but and he's kind of annoyed because it's like yanking on the leash and stuff. But <laughs> that's awesome, April. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for being part of this year's bundle. I cannot wait for people to jump into your classes and to experience cohesion from you because it's absolutely amazing. Thank you so much, everyone who's listening. Thank you for your time. I appreciate you and your ears and your minds working today and working on your practices. I hope that this has been helpful for you and that you can take little bits away to work on on you and and figure out what works for you because that's the most important thing bye bye i love to hear other people's stories that's why i started this podcast and I especially like it when those stories are not what I expect they're going to be. Back when I lived in Los Angeles, I drove quite a ways to take classes with April. And it was LA, so there was always traffic. And I have very, very fond memories of her class and the way that she carried herself. I remember admiring her so much for her ability to keep her dance going while she was pursuing so many projects and getting her degree. I honestly expected April to tell us how she fit it all in, and having the answer be that it can be done, but maybe it shouldn't be? I'm so into it. I get messages from you a lot asking for ways to fit in practice, or how to practice with kids and work and school, and yes, we can make that happen, and we should work to fit it in with joy, but a lot of times, that's not the energy I get with the question. It's more of this frantic need to be able to say that you practice, that this need to get into your dance. And I speak a lot here about how you are enough and that if you need to take a break or a step back, that your dance will be waiting for you when you return. It's the same message here again from April. Time and time again, you hear it from our guests and the contributors, and it's that you have to honor yourself and your needs, respect your body and your energy. Let's design personal practices that fill us with joy. And while maybe they're not always easy to get into, they aren't harming us in the process, right? They're not harming us in the doing. I'm so thankful to April for sharing her journey here with us and for encouraging us all to be eternal students. It's such an amazing place to explore from. You can find the show notes for this episode at thebellydancebundle.com slash 49. And if your journey as an eternal student crosses paths with the Belly Dance Bundle, well, it goes on sale on October 21st, and it's only on sale until October 28th. And I would be honored if you shared more of your journey with myself and all of our amazing contributors. And I know they would be as well. It's a joy to put this project together and I cannot wait to jump in with you. Until tomorrow, check out April's Drill and then I challenge you to do something super restorative for you. Whatever that may be.